Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Some of the scholars, they say that during this journey, Musa alayhi salam had nothing to eat. وَأَنَّهُ كَانَ يَتَقَوَّتُ وَرَقَ الْأَشْجَارِ He would seek energy, يَتَقَوَّتُ to gain قُوت, to gain um, strength, بِوَرَقِ الْأَشْجَارِ through leaves. Musa alayhi salam started eating leaves. Um, Fir'aun had sent his soldiers all through the streets and everywhere to search for him. وَكَانَ فِرْعَوْنُ وَجَّهَ فِي طَلَبِهِ وَقَالَ لَهُمْ أُطْلُبُوهُ فِي الثَّنِيَّاتِ الطَّرِيقِ They were looking for him everywhere, looking for Musa alayhi salam. And all the streets and everywhere they could go, they were searching for Musa alayhi salam. And here Musa alayhi salam, he, he, he rushes off. Now what happens is, Musa alayhi salam finally arrives in Madian. وَلَمَّا تَوَجَّهَتِ الْقَاءَ مَدْيًا قَالَ عَسَى رَبِّي أَنْ يَهَدِيَنِي سَوَاءَ السَّبِيلِ وَلَمَّا وَرَدَ مَاءَ مَدْيًا Musa alayhi salam arrives to the water of Madian. As if you remember earlier, when we talked about Shaib alayhi salam and the people of Madian, at that point I said to you, Madian was a very fertile land. And the reason was because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed them with natural resources. And one of the things Madian was known for was its wells and the water that was there. It had many wells and there was a lot of water present there. Musa alayhi salam, he arrives, he's sitting. And what happens? He notices something. The day comes in, it's early morning. All of the shepherds come with their flocks and they're giving their water, giving, feeding water to their animals. What was that? Ayah of the Quran? There you go. وَوَجَدَ مِن دُونِهِمُ مُرَأَتَيْنِ تَذُودَانِ This is what it is. وَوَجَدَ مِن دُونِهِمُ مُرَأَتَيْنِ تَذُودَانِ Musa alayhi salam saw that everyone was taking their animals forward towards the water and there were two women, they were pushing their animals away. The reason why they were pushing their animals away is because when you got closer to the water, there was a lot of crowding there. And because of that crowding, you had to support and protect your animals. Make sure that your animals didn't get lost with the other animals. You had to watch over them. That's the shepherd's job. To keep the flock together and make sure they don't stray. Otherwise, they can get lost. Someone can claim, this is my animal. And there goes your uh, $500. There goes $1,000 right out the window. So these women, what they were trying to do was they were trying to push their animals back so that everyone can give water to their animals. And once they leave, then they can come forward and give water to their animals. Now Musa alayhi salam, he sees this. And he immediately approaches these women. And he says to them, مَا That what's going on here? What's your story? What are you guys doing here? So they said that, أَبُونَا شَيْخٌ كَبِيرٌ That our father is an old man. He is not able of fulfilling uh, the responsibility of providing for the home. Therefore, we come to work every day and we provide for our family. From this, the scholars have deduced the jawaz and the permissibility established in the Qur'an for women to work. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Otherwise, would it be possible, and I'll, I'll point this out right now, according to many mufassirun, their father was Sayyiduna Shu'ib alayhi salam. 
According to others, they say it wasn't Shaib I'll come to that in a moment. I'll share the opinions and the different schools of thoughts on the issue. But a large group of Mufassirun have held the position that the father of these two women was who? Sayyidina Shaib If you take this position, then how is it possible that Shaib would allow his daughters to do something haram? If it was haram for women to work. If it was haram for women to work. Now obviously, in the example of the Sahabiyat, there are so many cases of women who provided a halal income for uh, their families. Some of them would cook, some of them would clean, some of them would sew, some of them would um, sell fragrance. Whatever they felt appropriate and comfortable doing, they would do it. At this point, um, Imam Qurtubi rahmatullahi alayhi in his tafsir, he discusses this issue. He says, فَإِنْ قِيلَ And if it is said, كَيْفَ سَاغَ لِلنَّبِيِّ اللَّهِ الَّذِي هُوَ الشُعِيبِ صلى الله عليه وسلم أَنْ يَرْضِيَ لِإِبْنَتَيْهِ بِسَقِيِ الْمَاشِيَةِ If it is said, then how is it okay, how is it possible that Nabi, the Nabi of Allah Shu'ib sent his daughters to um, give water to the animals, such a difficult, tough task. How is it appropriate that a Prophet of Allah does this? So he, uh, he then says, First thing, there is nothing wrong with this because the deen does not prohibit it. There is no such ruling in the deen that women have to stay at home. They cannot be a part of the chores of the house. Like if, a, if, if there is a need, if a father is sick or, or he needs to cut his grass, is it jais for him to send his daughter with a lawnmower to cut the grass? Yes or no? Yes or no? Absolutely. If he tells his daughter that, you know what, I, you know, I can't do it. I need someone to you know, fix the beam. Here's a hammer, go fix the beam. Is it jais for a father to tell his daughter to do that? I know it doesn't sound appealing, but... It's jais, it's completely okay. And as a daughter, if there was no one else there, she would have to oblige to the command of her parent and fix the beam, or paint the wall, or clean the toilet, or mow the grass, or whatever it is. You know, if, if, if that needs to be done, it should be done. And this is what Imam Qurtubi says. He says at this point, This is not something prohibited. And neither does the deen stop from this. Now someone can say, but it's inappropriate for a father to make his daughter work. What can someone say? It is inappropriate for a daughter to make his father work. At this point, Imam Qurtubi says, As for what's appropriate, what isn't appropriate, that's a cultural issue. Some people feel comfortable with certain things, other people do not feel comfortable with certain things. And the common practices are different. In one part of the world, a father may feel comfortable telling his daughter to go and fetch water. In another part of the world, the father may say, no, I don't feel comfortable with my daughter fetching water. So this is, these, are, these are differences. Uh, in some cultures, even in today's world, by the way, when the father marries his daughter off, he says to the, the, the groom, the husband, that I marry my daughter to you on a condition that you'll never make her work. If she wants to work, that's her choice, but you must never... Make her work because in those cultures they view it to be ma'yub, something that's looked down upon. That the husband sends the wife out to be the breadwinner while he stay, while he stays at home. So what's considered bad in one culture in another culture is considered okay. You look at America; it's very normal for the husband to say to the wife that you know what I want you to carry the weight right now because you have the skill. There's a job available to you, and I'll take care of the home. In Islam, there is no hard line on who must do what. What is agreed upon in Sharia is that every person must carry their responsibility. You set the responsibilities, you carry them out. Now if both people are working, husband and wife are both working, at the cost of, and note my word here very carefully, 
at the cost of the children being neglected. That's the scenario that I'm presenting. If they're not being neglected, this doesn't apply. At the cost of the children being neglected, then what you're doing is wrong. If husband and wife are both working at the cost of children being neglected, they're not being fed possibly, they're not being clothed properly, no one's washing their sheets properly, they're being neglected, then what you're doing is dhulm. Now if you get external help from your parents, your in-laws, or some workers, some helpers, some maid that comes and helps you take care of it, that's a whole different story. There must always be someone that's there to fulfill the haq of those people whose haq must be fulfilled. Imam Khurtabi continues and he says, The way the Arabs deal with sending their daughters off to work is very different from the non-Arabs, the way the Ajam deal, the Ajam deal with it. Ajam deal with this. And what you will find to be the methodology of the, the Bedouins is very different from people who live in the city. They have different approaches when it comes to, is it okay, is it culturally acceptable for women to be working? Khususan, he says, in specifically, Specifically, when it's a matter of varura, when it's necessary. The father is too old. Abuna Shaykhun Kabir, our father is too old. He can't take the animals out. If we don't take the animals out to graze, the animals will die. If the stock dies, we won't have to provide for our family. If we don't have to provide for our family, you know, people, people will be hurt. There will be dharar. There will be death. You know, since we're talking about dharar and death by not providing for the family, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showers His mercy upon the people of Yemen. I'm not sure if you guys are following the news right now or not, but uh, the... The focus of the battle right now is on one of the greatest ports of Yemen. The Saudis are trying to take control over that port, while the Houthis are trying to take are trying to maintain control over the port. And the Saudis have made it clear that if they do take control of the port, they will seize they will seize any imports and exports. And the UN is saying that if they seize imports into Yemen right now, even for a couple of days, the death toll can be catastrophic. The death toll can be catastrophic because that's where all of the nourishment and all the foods is coming through this particular port. And for the Saudis, if they stop this port, they'll weaken the Houthis and therefore um, they say that it's a, it's a decisive strategic move. If the Saudis are capable of, of cutting off this port from the Houthis, then they, they, the victory could be at their doorstep. But the harm of taking control of this port could be uh, a great death toll. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mercy. Uh, for those of you that are not aware right now, our Muslim brothers and sisters and, and Muslims, uh, our brothers and sisters in humanity in Yemen are, are facing a very, very difficult situation. A country that is already poor is in famine-like situation. You know, there are stories that, that, that newspapers across the world are covering, news agencies across the world, that these children, these young children, their bones are so thin and so weak and so frail that malnourishment has become very common. It's everywhere. May Allah protect and preserve. Uh, if you ever find anyone that is doing work to deliver food to our brothers and sisters in Yemen, support them. Step up immediately. Don't be lazy. And not to guilt anyone, but you will be asked by Allah on the Day of Judgment. I'm just saying it. We will all be asked by Allah on the Day of Judgment. How could you eat and carry so much muscle and weight and fat on your body while your brothers and sisters across the world had no weight, no muscle, no fat? There were barely bones on their body. We are accountable with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. Now, what happened immediately 
is that Musa alayhi salam, he got up and when he heard what was going on, he said to these women, you guys take a back seat, let me deal with the situation. Now what did Musa alayhi salam do? After he heard their side of the story, what did Musa alayhi salam do? Some scholars, they say what Musa alayhi salam did was, he took the animals in the middle of the flocks of the other people and, and, and was able to give them water soon and send these women off soon. Send them off home quickly. Another group of scholars, they said, no, that's not what Musa alayhi salam did. Rather, what Musa alayhi salam did was, he noticed that there was some greenery and there was some vegetation. وَحْذَرَّ لَوْنُهُ مِنْ أَكْلِ الْبَقْلِ فِي بَطْنِهِ Sorry, that's, that's another uh, statement. But anyway, Musa alayhi salam, he saw that there was uh, some greenery and he noticed that if there's greenery here, that means there must be water somewhere. So he began to search that area until he found a well that other people were not using. Now, in order to lift the caps of these wells, generally, you would need seven people, 10 people, 15 people. They would have these massive caps. And the reason why they would put these heavy, massive caps is so that the wind wouldn't blow it off, animals wouldn't push them off, animals wouldn't jump inside and die, destroying the water source. Musa salam went there, he picked up the whole casing himself and pushed it to a side. Heavy lifter, power lifter. All right, he picked it up, put some chalks on his hands, squatted down a little, fixed that back and lifted up. This, this is not in the riwayat, I added this. And he removed the, the lid and he came and gave water to those animals. After those animals um, took water, he then sent these women off. Now these women, because their chores had been completed, and concluded earlier, they came home early. And when they came home early, this is when Sayyidina Shu'aib or their father, depending on the opinion, um, the difference of opinion, and we'll come to that shortly. Uh, their father asked, what are you guys doing so home? What are you guys doing home so early? So at this point, they said that we met this young man, and this is what happened, and this is the whole story. So Shu'aib immediately said, go and call them. Now before we move forward, I want to mention one or two points. The first thing I want to mention is that if you see a sister that is struggling or a brother that is struggling, it is your responsibility as a good human being to go and help them. If you see there's someone old that's struggling, go and help that person. Chivalry is not dead. You must be an upright, good person. And you're not insulting them. If they don't want your help, they can say no. You have a responsibility to yourself that if you see someone in need, you go and you assist them. Someone's asking you for food, you give it to them. Someone's asking you for money, if you don't feel comfortable giving them money because you think maybe they might use it for something wrong, you tell them, hey man, I'll buy you a sandwich. I'll get you a drink if you want. But don't walk away without doing anything when you can do something. If you have the ability, always be there. Offer something in return. Whatever your skill is, whatever it is you sell, whatever it is that you know, if you can do something, be there. Don't be that person that isn't willing to do something unless they're being offered something in return. Don't make everything in your life transactional. There should be good things that we do out of our own goodwill, and that's that our reward, inshallah, is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, they came to um, their father, and they told their father that our, um, this young man helped us. So immediately their father said, go and call him. So the, one of the daughters, فَجَاءَتِ إِحْدَاهُمَا تَمْشِيَ عَلَى اسْتِحْيَاءِ One of the two, 
they came to meet Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salam. And they said to Musa alayhi salam that our father is calling you. Our father is calling you. The scholars, they say that who is this person, who is this father? Some scholars, they say he is Shuaib alayhi salam. Others say it is the cousin of Shuaib alayhi salam. Because Shuaib alayhi salam had passed away. But majority of the Mufassirun, أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُمَا إِبْنَتَا شُعَيْبٍ Majority of the scholars hold the position that they were the daughters of Shuaib What were their names? Some Mufassirun have said one of them, her name was Layya, and the other one, her name was Safura. Layya and Safura. These were the names of the um, two daughters. Now when this lady comes to meet Musa alayhi salam to invite him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَجَاءَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا تَمْشِي عَلَى اسْتِحْيَا That one of them came walking to Musa alayhi salam to invite him over, but she was walking with a lot of modesty. She came quickly because her father sent her, go and call this man, and she understood this man must be desperate. He helped us out today. So she came quickly to call him, but she came walking with a lot of modesty. What does it mean that she was walking with a lot of modesty? Some scholars, they say, walking with a lot of modesty actually means that she was dressed appropriately. Other scholars, they say, what this means isn't necessarily the dress, but the way she was carrying herself. There's a way that people carry themselves. And it's important to know that modesty is not limited just to a fabric. It's not a matter of just wrapping yourself in a garment and you become modest. That's not what modesty is. Modesty is much more than that. There are some people who dress modestly, but by Allah, I've heard women say that man dresses modestly, but gosh, he's the most immodest man. His tongue is filthy. His actions make us feel uncomfortable. And people can feel it. There are guys who will say immediately, that lady, she's not being appropriate right now. Now, it's very difficult to objectively state what the problem is in most cases because um, there's also like a, a sixth sense that people feel. And as a Muslim, when you feel uncomfortable, the best thing for you to do is leave. Just walk out and leave. Distance yourself from that situation right away. Don't be somewhere where you don't feel comfortable. In Islam, I'm going to just state one or two things right now for the record. So for those that are listening, you are educated with this issue. In Islam, you are not, you're not, you are not supposed to be alone with another male unless there is absolute necessity or that person is your relative. Absolute necessity does not mean asking a question. That's not absolute necessity. Absolute necessity is something like you're dying and you need someone to, to perform surgery on you and there's only one person there that can do it and they need, they need, they need a sterile... Uh, uh, sorry. They need to have their tools and don't, need, don't want anyone else there so that way they can focus on their job and they say, I need to be here alone. That's a situation. Or for example, there is a, a doctor who needs to be with their patient alone, just outside of surgery, just generally, because they need to get that information from them. That's a situation. You know, there are few cases like this. Otherwise, everything else that people do, this, this is not okay in Islam when it comes to being alone between men and women. And this is where a lot of haram ends up happening. In particular, when religious figures say, oh, it's okay for you to be with me alone because I'm your imam. No. That person at that point is shaitan square. Not just one shaitan, but double shaitan. You walk away from there. Secondly, it is not okay for someone to physically make contact with you 
unless that person is a relative of yours, like a father or a brother, that's something different, a mahram of yours, or it is absolutely necessary, going back to that surgery example, or some sort of examination example, that's a whole different story. Otherwise, no imam, no sheikh, no person in the community, no uncle or ammu should come and make physical contact with you. These things are all haram. One of them came walking with a great amount of modesty, the way she carried herself. And she said to her, uh, she said to Musa salam, that my father is calling you so he can compensate you for the good that you've done. Now Musa salam immediately could have said what? Nope, not coming. I don't want to come. I don't want to be compensated. But here note, Musa salam made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when those two women left. This is the dua I didn't share, I'm going to share now. After he took care of their animals and they went home, Musa salam went back to his shade and he made a dua to Allah. He said, Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Imam Sha'arawi rahmatullahi alayhi, at this point he focuses on the dua. He says that Musa salam said, Rabbi, what did he say? He didn't say, Ya Allah. Because he said, usually when you refer to the name of Allah, Ya Allah, the relationship the servant has with Allah is of that of a master and a servant. And that involves prohibitions and commands. But when a person says, Rabb, the one who nourished me, the one who helped me grow, the one who did my tarbiyah, now it's about, Ya Allah, you helped me grow until this point and now I'm stuck at life again. I don't know what's next. So Ya Rabbi, oh my Lord, oh my nourisher, oh my maintainer, oh my mentor, someone who helps me grow, the one who does my tarbiyah. Rabbi, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. I am in absolute desperacy of the good that you are to reveal to me. Ya Allah, I really need it now. I'm about to crumble. I'm really struggling at this point. This dua is very good for two things. For marriage and a job. If you're looking to get a job, this dua right here. Because as soon as Musa salam made this dua, by the end of the day, what happened guys? He had a job. Musa salam made this dua, he was very lonely, he felt isolated, his thoughts were obscured, they were scattered. He makes his dua, by the end of the day, his marriage, his baat paki is done. His marriage situation is sorted out. Rabbi inni rima anzalta ilayya min... Khayrin Faqir. Make this dua all the time. And in particular for those of you who are looking to get married, inshallah, Allah will give you in marriage daughters like the daughters of Shuaib salam. And Allah for the women will give you men like Musa salam. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Now, she begins to guide Musa salam. Because now they have to go to their father, go to her father. What happens when they're going to her father? How do they actually walk together? Some narrations say what happened was that she was walking in front. Because she was the guide. And naturally, is the guide supposed to be in the front or supposed to be in the back? What's the answer to that? Obviously, the hadith, the guide is always at the front and the followers are at the back. And there was like a three mile distance between Musa salam and the father of uh, this lady. She was leading Musa salam, and what happened was, um, the wind began to blow, and as a result of the wind blowing, 
her body was exposed. According to a riwayah, what happened? فَضَمَّتْ قَمِيسَهَا وَوَصَفَتْ عَجِيزَتَهَا What happened was that um, the wind began to blow, the fabric began to cling to her body, as a result of which the, uh, the, the, uh, the details of her body began to become exposed. عَجِيزَتَهَا means, you know, the, the behind was exposed, not exposed without any garment, but the, the garment was clinging to the body. Kind of like when a person is walking, if they have a gut, their, their gut will be very clear because their, their garment at that time is really hugging their body. So at this point, فَتَحَرَّجُ Musa مِنَ النَّظَرِ Musa السلام, immediately turned away. فَقَالَ إِرْجِعِي خَلْفِي He said to her, go behind me and guide me from behind. I don't wish to look at you. It's not appropriate. And look at the chivalry and the modesty of Musa salam. He goes against what's khilaf al-aql. He goes against aql. Aql is the guide is at the front, you're at the back. But when an issue of modesty comes, Musa salam says, you go behind, I'll be in the front. Guide me through your voice. What does that mean? Turn left in 300 meters. Musa salam just said, say it to me. In one narration it says that she didn't even guide him through the voice, rather she guided him through... Rocks and pebbles. What she would do is if she wanted Musa salam to turn left or right, she would take a pebble in her hand and throw it left. Or throw it right. And Musa salam would see where that stone would fall and would know that's time for me to turn on this road here and turn on, uh, on the other road there. Other scholars, they say that Musa salam did not tell her to go to the back after her body was somewhat exposed. وَقِيلَ إِنَّ مُوسَى قَالَ ابْتِدَاءً كُونِي وَرَائِي فَإِنِّي رَجُلٌ عِبْرَانِيٌّ لَا أَنظُرُ فِي أَدْبَارِ النِّسَاءِ وَذُلَّنِي عَلَى الطَّرِيقِ يَمِينًا وَيَسَارًا According to other scholars, they say that Musa salam didn't tell her to move in the back after um, she was exposed. Rather, he said to her right from the get-go, that you be at the back, I'll be in the front, guide me from here. And she guides him. Ibn Abbas says that as Allah says in the Quran, وَقَصَّ عَلَيْهِ الْقَصَصِ Musa السلام, stood in front of the father of this uh, young lady who could be Shu'ib السلام, and Shu'ib السلام, said, what's your story? What is your story? Who are you? Where did you come from? We don't know you. You're a young man. You seem like a talented young man. Tell me your story. And Musa السلام, shared his entire story in a lot of detail that this is who I am. This is where I come from. This is the story. This is what I. This is what I've been accused of, and I'm in a very tough situation. I'm in a crunch. At this point, one of the daughters she says to her father, "That oh my father, ya abatistajir. Let's hire this man for his service. Istijara. Istijara is to seek ujra. Istijara is to seek." What's the Arabic word I used? Ujra. Anyone know what ujra means? Ujra means when you pay someone for services. Like for example, in the Middle East, what do they call a cab? Ujra. What do they call a cab? Sayyaratul ujra, or just ujra. That you pay the person money and they give you a service. The service is I'll drive you from one place to another place. Okay. In ujra, there is no complete ownership. You're just taking a service from someone. Do you guys understand? There is no complete ownership. You're just taking what we call, you have temporary tamlikul manfa'ah. 
You're benefiting from the services of something temporarily. This is what ujra is. We learn from this verse that ujra is established in the, in the sharias of the past, and also in our deen there is permissibility of um, ujra as well. Because she says, oh my father, the best person for you to hire for ujra is someone that is strong and someone that is trustworthy. How did she identify these two characteristics in Musa She was able to identify he as al-qawi because of the way he lifted the lid off of the well when he gave water to her animals. Al-Amin, how did she know he was trustworthy? Because of how he walked with her when they came back home. His modesty, his kindness. If a person was ill-intended, they would have made a move. But here Musa had every opportunity. And he made no inappropriate gesture to her. And not only that, he kept himself clear where he said, you stay behind, I'll stay at the front. We'll go khilaful aqal against what's, what we should be doing just to protect ourselves. So she identified these two characteristics. Shaib says, Inni uridu an unkihaka That I wish to marry you to one of my two daughters. From this we learn the sunnah of the father proposing on behalf of the daughter. This is what we call Ardul Wali ibnatahu ala rajul. That a wali, the father, he presents his daughter to a man. A man that she is happy with. Because you have to keep in mind, forced marriages are not a thing in Islam. It's haram. The, in, by definition, marriage requires both people to be willing to go into contract, or willing to go into marriage. That's how Islam views the legitimacy of transactions. And this is, this is exactly what Islam says about marriage as well. You cannot force someone into marriage. So, this is an example that we find also in the life of Umar bin Khattab where he presented his daughter in marriage. Um, and we have other examples of this too, of the scholar, from the scholars of the past. It's not necessary or mandatory. A lady can present herself, by the way. A lady can present herself, but it's considered from the adab that I, the wali does it on behalf of her. Now the second point that I want to focus on here is that he says to Musa alayhi that I wish to marry you to one of my two daughters. He doesn't do ta'yeen. He doesn't say which daughter. What does he say? I wish, I wish to marry you to one of my two daughters. In return of you serving me for eight seasons. For eight years you will serve me, I will give you one of my two daughters. The, the ulama, they write under this ayah that such a contract is not jayaz in Islam. It's not permitted in Islam. For a person to say, you do this for me and you can marry one of my two daughters. Because there could be deception. Which daughter? Who am I going to marry? So at this point, the Mufassirun, they write that this was a proposal on behalf of Shaib salam, not the contract itself. Do you guys understand? The contract itself is where the details will come in. It's like a person says, you pay me $3,000, I'll give you one of three cars. Now which car is it exactly? This is the proposal. The proposal is one of... Three cars. Now the contract will state exactly which car and exactly how much money. Now we clarify things before we actually sign contracts. So herefore, therefore they say, يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ عَرْضٌ لَا عَقْدٌ لِأَنَّهُ لَوْ كَانَ عَقْدًا لَعَيَّنَ الْمَعْقُودَ عَلَيْهَا لَهُ لِأَنَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ لِأَنَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ ذَلِكَ لَا يَجُزُ فِي النِّكَاحَ 
that the ulama, they say that it is not permitted for a person to go into contract of marriage saying, I marry you to one of my two daughters. You have to do ta'yin. You have to specifically say, it's this daughter or it's that daughter. Now the next um, point of discussion is that he said to, um, he said to Musa alayhi salam, that I will marry you my daughter in return of your service. Is it jaiz to use a service for marriage and not have any other mahar at all? Do you guys understand the question here? Is it jaiz for Musa salam to provide service to Shaib salam and that, it's, that in itself be the mahar and he gives no other money? Is that okay or is it not okay? There is ikhtilaf on the issue. Some scholars there are of the position that it is permitted. And this is the position of the Shafi'i scholars and also some Malikis, not all Malikis, some Malikis have given permission. That it's ja'iz to get married in return of a service being offered. The Hanafi scholars are of the position that it is not permitted. We say la yasihu, it's not permitted. The only way this will be permissible is if there is something offered. There is actually money involved. There is some physical dime, some quarter, some dollar, some money involved. There has to be some sort of naqd money involved. And they provide different arguments uh, for and against. Most of the scholars, by the way, majority of them say that even if you do provide a service as your mahar, on the side you should give something hard as well, some money. You should give some money. That way you accommodate all positions and the proper mahar is offered to the lady at the time of the marriage. Now, Musa alayhi salam marries this lady. Okay. Which one did he marry? Some ulama say that Musa alayhi salam actually married the younger one of the two. He did not marry the older one. They base it off of a riwayah from Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. He says, Qala li Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the messenger of Allah said to me, In su'ilta ayyul ajalayni qadha Musa, faqul khayruhuma wa awfahuma. Wa in su'ilta ayyul mar'atayni tazawwaja, faqul al-sughra. Wa hiya allati jaad khalfahu. Wa hiya allati qalat, ya abat istajir, inna khayra man istajirta al-qawiyu al-ameen. Qila, inna al-hikmata fi tazwijihi al-sughra minhu, قبل الكبرى وإن كانت وإن كانت الكبرى أحوج إلى الرجال أنه توقع أن أن يميل إليها لأنه رآها في رسالته ومشاها في إقباله إلى أبيها معها. So anyway, the argument here is that he married the younger one. The reason is because she played the leading role in Musa alayhi salam being invited by the father. She played the lead role in Musa alayhi salam being considered as a candidate for marriage. Because she said, oh my father, hire him. He's a good person. You know how good a person is once you deal with him, once you interact with him. Because she was the one that had the keen observation. Because she took lead, the father married her off first. And the others, وَفِي بَعْضِ الْأَخْبَارِ أَنَّهُ تَزَوَّجَ بِالْكُبْرَى حَكَاهُ الْقُشَيْرِ عَلَامَ قُشَيْرِ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ says, no, Musa salam did not marry the younger one. He actually married the older one. And wallahu alam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now we come back to the ayah. Um, Shuaib said, you can marry my daughter on the condition that you serve me for eight years. Many ulama say this condition is also problematic. Why is this condition problematic? 
because you can only hire someone to a job once you clarify the terms of the job. I can't just say, serve me for eight years. What am I going to do to serve you for eight years? Am I going to bring water for your home? Am I going to cut your hair? Am I going to, what am I going to do? So you have to clarify, you have to clarify what the actual khidmah is going to be. And this is the position of Imam Hanifa and Imam Shafi'i rahmatullahi alayhi. It is not permitted for a person to go into a contract with another person where you hire someone for a job without you first and foremost clarifying what the actual job is going to be. So the scholars have, have talked about this issue. Imam Bukhari has discussed it and others have. Some are of the position that it's okay as long as there's a scope and idea of what the job will be. You know, either I'm going to be working in IT tech or I'm going to be working as a security job guard. Like there's like some sort of an idea. It's some sort of an IT job, some sort of a job that this person has a skill to do, something that won't be burdensome. So based on this, some scholars have given ijazah. Now when Musa, when Musa salam came to work, Somebody wayat they say that um, some ulama they say that what actually happened was when Musa salam came to work for Shaib salam, Shaib salam introduced him to his job that he would take care of the flock, he would look after the animals, and he gave Musa salam a staff, and that ended up becoming the staff of Musa salam. Some scholars, they say that the staff of Musa salam was actually given to him by Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam. Wallahu alam. As for the scholars that say this was a staff given by Shu'ib alayhi salam, they say this staff was a staff, this is an opinion, they say this was a staff that um, Adam alayhi salam brought with him from Jannah when he came to the dunya. And it was passed down generation to generation until it ended up with Sayyidina Shu'ib alayhi salam, and then Shu'ib alayhi salam offered that staff on to Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, and it became the famous staff referenced in the Quran, uh, where it, was, it, was, it had a miracle nature to it. Wallahu alam bisalab. The origin of the staff, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. I only presented some opinions before you, so that way you can understand. Musa alayhi salam fulfilled his, his course, his service to its complete. And after this, he was married to the daughter of Shu'ib alayhi salam. There's a difference of opinion. When did the actual marriage occur? Did it happen at the beginning of the eight-year service? Or the ten-year service? Or did it happen at the end of it? Both opinions are there. Some scholars say it happened at the beginning. Other scholars say it happened at the end. And after Musa alayhi salam fulfilled his service, he did not stay behind there. And the reason why he didn't stay behind in Madian, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was going to send him as a prophet to his people. His people were the ones that required his service. And therefore Musa salam begins to make his way back to the people of Madian. And inshallah al-aziz, in our next class, we'll talk about the risala of Musa salam, him being granted nubuwa. We'll talk about some of the miracles of Sayyidina Musa salam, And we will discuss inshallah Musa salam's standing and presence in the court of Fir'aun. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants barakah and accepts. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.